Welcome back to the Tipsy Theology Podcast for you tipsy theologians. <laughs> you know who you are. You're well aware of who you are by now, I'm sure. <laughs> and for those of you in the know, you can see me now. Hello. It's good to see you. I can't see you. <laughs> you know, we used to do video, and uh, I had this camera sitting at home, so like, let's give it a try. Let's let's see if it works. Um, see if it's yeah, a little fun. Let's change it up a little bit. We've got a little, got a little panache, a little flair. I think that's how you say that. <laughs> and for you audio listeners out there, don't worry. I haven't forgotten about you. By the way, you're still my favorite. <laughs> I kid. I joke. Seriously, this thing was an audio podcast for like a year. <laughs> audio only. But maybe that'll change. Anyway, we're going to have some fun today. Um, today, I want to talk about... What the heck? <laughs> Who left their stuff on my desk? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's probably my producer. He's the only other guy here. Well, he's not here. I don't know where he went, actually. <laughs> he he said, go. Like he, I hit record, and then he walked out the door. I don't know where he went or where he had to go. I'm paying him to be here. <laughs> so he's probably the one that left his stuff on my desk. Uh, oh. Sean! Did you leave your stuff on my desk? I don't know where he went. He's not answering. So uh, it's mine. <laughs> it's mine now. And for you audio listeners out there, who can't see, I'm currently holding a bottle of Magic Mind. It's what keeps me honest, thinking clearly. And I'm going to need that, because uh, today we're going to be talking about sin. Oh, that's good. That's good. Oh, actually, I kind of want that bottle on my desk. <laughs> it's kind of cool looking. Classes up the joint. Sean, can you grab the bottle? You know what? I don't know where he is. I'm just going to do it myself. It'll be done so much faster. <sighs> I do not know how he got through my hiring department. <laughs> By the way, my hiring department is just me. <laughs> That's why I'm so confused. <laughs> I'm a different man today than it was a few days ago. <laughs> ah, this is too much stress so early in the episode. I'm going to need a drink. <laughs> and by the way, I don't recommend drinking when you're sad or stressed out. But it's okay if I do it because I'm a professional. <laughs> All right, hopefully you heard that and you got to see that. <laughs> Let's get some ice in here. Today, we're drinking absinthe. That's right. That's the crazy stuff. <laughs> Actually, uh, so this in particular is not just any absinthe. Well, it's a lot. Oh, boy. It's absinthe ordinaire. Or ordinaire. How do you say it French? <laughs> is, I didn't know absinthe was a French word. Because I think, did it start in France? Uh, I actually have no idea. <laughs> but there's a lot of French words on here. The hour of absinthe 
at Forcalegi in 1913. So I'm guessing that's probably when they started this. It was a long time ago. It's kind of cool. Um, so actually, yeah, so let me see. I've got some fun little notes about this here. So absinthe ordinaire. Ordinaire. Do the French roll their R's? I'm not sure. They do today. <laughs> so it is one of the early brands. I think actually on the back of this it says it's probably the first, which is crazy. Legend has it, the first true absinthe recipe, first true, it's cool, was created by Dr. Pierre Audenaire. Audenaire. Pierre. I don't think they roll their R's. <laughs> In 1792. That's a long time. <laughs> That's a little while ago. It's kind of cool. Um, but yeah, so it's one of the early brands of absinthe that gained popularity in the 19th century. That's the 1800s for anyone who didn't know that. <laughs> Particularly in France. It was created by Henri-Louis Bernard, Bernard in the early 1800s. Someone give me a French lesson, please. There's a lot of French drinks we've been going through. <laughs> uh, and it played a significant role in the absinthe craze that swept through France and other European countries during that time. This brand contributed to absinthe's reputation as the Green Fairy <laughs> and became emblematic of the drink's mystique and allure. Even though there's no fairy on here, there is a bottle that I did see that has a fairy on it. I wonder if that one's like special <laughs> or they're just trying to, you know, cash in on that whole thing. I don't know. I don't know this. <laughs> I just make stuff up. Um, so actually, fun fact, fun fact, absinthe was banned in the United States <laughs> in 1912 uh, due to concerns about its alleged hallucinogenic and harmful effects. Pretty sick. <laughs> I've, I'm no, I know I've had this on here before, and I'm sure everyone's been like, yeah, we know. We've heard this all before. Um, but this is a little bit more information. Um, the ban was largely a result of a moral panic and misinformation about the drink, including exaggerated claims that it could lead to madness and violent behavior. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, it remained prohibited in the Uni United States until 2007 when the Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau, TTB, I forgot the A. Isn't it A-T-T-T-B? <laughs> <laughs> Lifted the ban, allowing the sale of properly regulated and labeled absinthe products. That's pretty sick. Um, one of the fun and distinctive aspects of enjoying absinthe is the traditional preparation ritual. Yeah, there is no ritual here. I just kind of poured it into the glass. <laughs> Actually, it's got a... Uh, this one's got such a unique color to it than what I'm used to. I wonder if I should have shaken it. <laughs> it's like it's kind of, for those who can't see, I wonder if that's the ice that melted into it. It's got like two tones. It's kind of like, uh, yeah, on the bottom, it's more of like a creamier look, and then it gets um, clearer, like a clearer lime green on the top. It's kind of interesting. I wouldn't have guessed that. Um, but anyway, there's a ritual about it. Is it a Sazerac? I think that's like the traditional drink with this. Uh, it typically involves placing a sugar cube on a slotted spoon placed over a glass of absinthe and then slowly dripping ice-cold water over the sugar cube to dilute and sweeten the absinthe. 
This ritual often includes the use of special absinthe glasses and spoons. It's a visually captivating process and adds to the mystique and ceremony of enjoying absinthe, making it a unique and fun experience for enthusiasts. I need to do that sometime. That sounds really fun. <laughs> I love that it's all like this whole mysterious thing about it. Like, oh, we don't know what it is and what it does. <laughs> it is like, it is heavy. Like it's, it says this one's 92 proof. That's a lot. <laughs> but I mean, I guess it's like normal whiskey. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. <laughs> It's really not. It's pretty, that's pretty high. That's pretty high. But uh, bottoms up. Let's see. And oh, man, this means I'm probably going to cry. <laughs> and I've never had this brand before, so I don't know if it's going to hit different. We'll see. We'll see. Everyone's a little different. Mm. Getting it chilled with some ice in there is definitely a huge win. This is delicious. It's sweeter than I'm used to. A little bit sweeter. It has that classic black licorice flavor, which if you don't like black licorice, you're probably not going to like it. But I love black licorice. I always have. Um, yeah, it's great. It's delicious. So I'm really enjoying this. This is probably one of the best absins I've had. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we got our magic mind in us. We got absinthe in us. <laughs> An upper and a downer. <laughs> we'll see who wins. <laughs> I'm going to be sad, but thinking clearly. We don't get that often. <laughs> it's a unique look today. It's a unique look. So, Well, I want to start with the, the big question. We look at what is sin. So we're hopping right into that. It's 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 actually I've this is probably the most notes I've had on anything. It's something I've been wanting to talk about for a little like quite a bit now, because um, I feel like it's misunderstood often of you know, what exactly it is. You know, it's it's deceptively easy. It's an easy thing to answer, but I think it's hard for us to figure out how to apply it or where we apply it. There's like a I think it's one of the more common ones that gets kind of shrouded in what we think. Um, but let me let me give you let me let me walk that through. Um, so the simple answer to defining what is sin is any action, attitude, or characteristic that fails to conform to God's holy and moral expectation or law. So that's a that thing. That's probably where we would mostly go. But then it's like, okay, well, what are those things? And I think that's where because the big thing with it is like I think there's those universal things. Uh, universal sins is what I would like to is what I like to call them, um, and then we have those more like personal conviction ones, so things that are you know more personal to each person. So some examples of that would be um, in Exodus twenty, we have the Ten Commandments. So you know you shall not you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make idols. You shall not take the Lord's name your God in his name in vain. My gosh, I can't read. <laughs> Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Me not reading that's not a commandment. <laughs> Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. Commit adultery. Steal. Bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet. Pretty exhaustive. It's pretty good. <laughs> I say exhaustive. It covers a lot of ground though. So that's the truth. Um, you know, then we have like those personal convictions, the personal sins. Alcohol is one of those that typically 
it's easy to put in that category. We've talked about that before. Um, you know, Romans fourteen twenty through 23 is one with that, which says, uh, Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is not, it is not good... It is good not to eat, my goodness, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, meaning the faith that it's okay to eat that, um, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because this eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So we have sins that apply to everyone, the Ten Commandments, like without exception. That's like everyone everyone has to obey those things to be in line with um with with God. To not you know, to not sin. Um but then we have sins that only apply based on personal convictions. That was proceeds out of faith. So if if my faith says it's okay, that's conviction from the Holy Spirit. If I'm not convicted, alcohol, for example, that's a huge one. Like I said, then it's like it's okay for me to do that. But if I believe that it's wrong, and I continue and I do it, well, then that's wrong, and that's not that's not a good thing. <laughs> that would then be sin, even though it's not sin for somebody else. So it seems seems straightforward enough, right? <laughs> we would think. <laughs> And you know, there's something else inside of these, uh, inside of this last, these last few verses that I think is really interesting. So I want to give one more scripture. This one's a little bit longer. It's First Corinthians eight. I want to read that, um, and then hopefully you can pick it up. But I'll I'll, I'll share kind of what I'm seeing. So First uh, Corinthians eight. Now concerning food offered to idols, I think I love Paul loved talking about food idols. <laughs> uh, we knew that. All of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods, in quotes, and many lords, in quotes, Yet, for us there is one God, the Father from whom are all things, and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all have th- through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Whoever not however, my goodness <laughs> this absinthe is attacking me. <laughs> this should be kicking in soon. <laughs> You'll notice when I sudden, suddenly become coherent. <laughs> ah. All right, where was I? Verse 7. However, not all possess this knowledge, <laughs> but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees uh, you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, 
will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak. You sin against Christ. Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. I think that one was pretty clear, <laughs> hopefully. But do you kind of see where I'm going with this in the personal conviction? There's a level where it extends. He says, even to the point he's saying, you know, weaker brother, I think that has more to do with the the influence that can be taken. Um, but there, there's a lot in there we could probably get into. But the point of that is, I'll, he used food sacrificed to idols. I'll use alcohol since that's what we're here for. <laughs> that's not what we're here for, but that's what we're doing here. <laughs> um. For me to drink this, it's not wrong. But it is wrong for someone who has conviction that it is. And in, with that being said, for me to, to do this in front of somebody else who would be you know, weaker in their faith is how Paul would, would say it, or who's weaker conscience, um, that would be wrong because that could create a stumbling block for him to commit sin because of because of my faith or my knowledge. Does that make sense? I love how I asked that like you could answer. <laughs> so with that, it's kind of personal conviction then becomes something greater than it's not doesn't just affect me. Now it's affecting somebody else. So even with our convictions, even if we're in the right, if I'm in the right to enjoy this, it only extends to the point where it affects somebody else's faith. And so I, I find that very I find that very interesting. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just because I don't have a personal conviction that it is wrong does not mean I can parade it around. Um, I don't want to create those stumbling blocks for somebody else. Now I don't think that we that, that means then we have to like tiptoe throughout life. <laughs> but I think it's something we have to be considerate considerate of, considerate of other people. You know, we're called to love others. That's a huge aspect to, I think, a call to Christianity is to loving other people well because that is loving God in, in return. Um, and I think this is one of those ways. So let's let's shift our perspective here a little bit and let's look at um, the Hebrew perspective on sin um, for a second here. So the Hebrew word is, I don't know how to say it. <laughs> Kata, kata, k h a t a. So its most basic meaning is actually not religious at all. Uh oh. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> um, you know, it simply means to fail or miss a goal. For example, um, Proverbs nineteen two says, "Desire without knowledge is not good." For and whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. Um, that's the same word there that we would typically see translated as sin. Now the context of it is is, is, is kind of a little bit different. There's, I think, it's not that it loses its application or loses its its meaning in how we defined it earlier. I just think it's important for us to look at this word and in the context of how it's used in Hebrew, it means missing, it means missing 
the mark or missing a goal that was set. You know, the Ten Commandments act as a way um, for us to, to show us how we can first, how we can love God or how we can fail to love God, and then second, how we can love people or fail to love people if we don't stand up, if we don't live up to what the commandments require from us. And so for us to sin, to, to disobey it, one of the commandments given to us, that would be us missing the mark, the goal that was set for the earthly representatives of, of Christ. People that said, I'm a Christian, I represent the Lord on earth. If I mistreat somebody, disobey a commandment, if I don't love God the way he re- requested, required of me to, then I'm missing the mark, I'm missing the goal. That was a good one. <laughs> So let's shift our focus again here. You know, as Christians, we know that everyone is missing the mark. You know, we have all done something. It only takes one time for us to miss the mark and fall out of right standing with God. That's serious. (laughs) I could live great today, but what about yesterday? Or what about tomorrow? (laughs) You know, we're not... We're not perfect, as I like to say, unfortunately. <laughs> and I think it's very easy for us to impose our views of what exactly missing the mark means. I think we're very good about pushing that on to um, other people. Although, I, th- I hopefully, I think we're well-intentioned. I think many people are well-intentioned when it does that. It seems we have um, a hard time distinguishing, like we said earlier, like I said earlier, what is a violation for everyone, the universal sins, and what's just a personal violation, just that personal conviction side of it. Those are two big things that we confuse sometimes. And I think it's important for both both parties to recognize that. Um, but maybe I'm being maybe I'm being harsh a little bit too, because I think in some ways, I think in some ways it, it is important for the person that doesn't share that same conviction to be more understanding. And I say that only because of the language that Paul uses when he's building up to this point, where it is it is for us to look out for the person who is quote-unquote weak or weaker. So food for thought there. <laughs> Not food to idols, depending on your persuasion. <laughs> so, you know, I, I want us to be honest myself included. I want I want to be honest when we look at what sin actually is and how it applies. You know, saying that you that someone has sinned, if I say you have sinned against God, that is serious. It's a serious thing and it needs to be treated it needs to be treated as such. It's not like this little innocent like, oh, oops, I did it again. <laughs> Please forgive me. <laughs> you know, it's not it's not um it's not. It shouldn't. It shouldn't be something that we take lightly. It should be something that we really do hold in high regard and really pay attention to. Um, <clears throat> so, when we look at judging because that's that's the question here. When we look at other people, when we say who you know who are we allowed to judge? <laughs> are we allowed to judge anybody? <laughs> um, I think First Corinthians five twelve does a great job of this. Um, our boy Paul coming in clutch again. <laughs> Paul outlines that it is our job to judge those within the church. Um, you know, I think back to the episode I did with Adam on the third commandment. That was a great one. I, I do want to, I think it'd be fun to do that with more commandments too, because there's, I'm sure there's a lot more we could pull out of those um, 
which would be cool. I think that'd be beneficial. Um, you know, so we look at, you know, you're an imager. That that was one of the things that Adam said, and I love that. You're an imager of God, so start acting like it. <laughs> and it's a serious charge, but it is one of those things that we can only point to other people that have said, yes, I will represent the Lord. I will accept the responsibility of that of the third commandment to say that I'm going to represent the Lord well. I'm going to represent his name. But for people outside of that, we can't hold them to the same standard. That, um, yeah, that is that is something that is only for, for the Lord. There's a standard and accountability that we must hold each other to that we cannot hold those outside Christianity. Why? Well, because that's not my place. That's the easiest way to say it. <laughs> I'm sure there's like a a better explanation, but for me, that's when I think about that. I think you know this is one of those things that is reserved for the Lord alone to judge um, those outside of the faith. I I don't I don't have a great reasoned way to say that besides uh, that's what that's what they that's what he said <laughs> that's what he said in his word. <laughs> I think in the same way that you know we say revenge is for the Lord alone. I think this applies in in the same way where this is for the Lord and the Lord alone to look at those outside. We need to hold the other imagers, the other the other Christ followers accountable for what they do and what they say and how they treat other people to make sure that you really are upholding the third commandment to 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 bear the name of the Lord well. But for those who said I'm I'm not going to bear it or don't or haven't done it yet, <laughs> We can't hold them to those to those same standards like we do other Christians. Now, um, you know, God created us, and He knows how we can live best, how we can get the most out of our lives. He knows how people will function well, even outside of Christianity. I think that um, you can still be blessed for being loyal to God's law. Um, which extends to loving people well. I think that's that's a huge element of this. It's you know loyalty to to the law. Now, it, don't mishear me here. Is this is not something that grants you salvation? I think that's easy for us to jump into when we talk about doing good. And there's 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 a lot of verses in here we can jump to <clears throat> that can argue uh, you know against the the blankets the broad statement that I just made here. But it, it is important to to look at this and we say that if someone does something, I think it's it's the question I'm asking right now. If someone does something that is in obedience with the law of the Lord, wouldn't that be a, a good thing? And now the common thing that I've heard people re- refute that with is, well, you can't do good apart from God. And so the only person who can do good in the eyes of the Lord are his followers. But then it's like, okay, but how often do we actually do things with the right motivation, even as Christians? It's a tough one to think about. It's a tough one to think about. But I think it's, I think it's important for us to recognize that. Now, that is a question. I'm not saying that emphatically, because I, I don't know if I can right now. <laughs> But I think, it, I think it's food for thought, especially when we approach this idea of, of sin, because the antithesis of that is doing good. Um, yeah, because if we have to do everything with the... 
yeah, because there's a lot. There's a lot in there. <laughs> I'll say that. I was about to go on, but I was like, mm, I don't know if I, I don't know if I should. <laughs> so yeah, obeying the law is still a good thing, even outside of Christ. And I think we can all do well to encourage others inside and outside the faith to follow it. Because I, I truly do believe, and I, I will say this, this is my personal belief on this. I think that if someone is not a Christian and they treat people well according to the law, to God's law, I think that they can expect their life to be better. <laughs> I think that there is a blessing for those that, that obey the law. Now, I think the um, we see in, in Scripture they're a law unto themselves because they don't have the foundation of, of what we have, Christians have in the Scriptures, saying, like, this is what God commanded, this is why I do this. They do it because of their own moral conviction inside of their own minds. Um, so I find, that, I find that interesting. But I, I do truly believe that it's something that we should, we should all seek to follow, it doesn't grant salvation, but it can live a little, live, live, live a little better life. <laughs> so, you know, I want this to be helpful. With all this that I'm saying, I want this to be helpful um, for everybody. And I think in order to recognize that, I, I, I need to say this, and that's I don't think that I don't think that people intentionally sin all the time. I think it's, I think very few people go throughout their day thinking, hmm, how can I sin next today? <laughs> I think that's a, I think that's a, a large minority of people, a small minority of people. What the heck was that mean? What did that even mean? <laughs> I think a minority of people do that. Now, there is a differentiator here that I will say, and it's that um, until the Lord reveals to us the things that we are doing that are sin, we are just living our lives <laughs> and being guided by our own conscience. You know, it goes back to that, you know, we're uh, a law unto ourselves. And the, it's for the Lord to reveal those things for us to say, oh, okay, this is what is acceptable and this is what is not acceptable in the eyes of God. So now when we do know... Um, the things that God does find unacceptable, and and we continue to do those things, then we we are intentionally sinning. Sinning. We're willfully sinning. Um, we're being willfully disobedient. And I think that is, I think that is a far worse thing, because we know what is. If we know what is good, and yet we choose to still do what we know is not good, I think that is that is far far worse than us ignorantly doing those things. Because you don't know. <laughs> but it's outside of what your own conscience tells you. I think an example of this, and it's an interesting one, is Genesis 20 um, with Abimelech. It's a fun word. <laughs> I've been looking forward to saying his name. <laughs> so for those that don't know that story, that's where we have Abraham who's traveling um, with his wife. And he's afraid. He's afraid for himself, and so he he tells he tells people that Sarah, his wife, is actually his sister. <laughs> That's a lie. <laughs> and so, out of ignorance and innocence, uh, Abimelech takes Sarah, Abraham's wife, to be his wife. 
because he believes that Sarah is Abraham's sister. So he's not doing anything that he sees as wrong because he's been given bad information. Now, in a dream, um, God came to Abimelech and revealed the truth to him and said, hey, this is actually some some dude's wife. <laughs> and um, I, I think he, I, I wish I copied the verses down to, to read it a little better. Um, so God says, hey, you're going to, you're a dead man <laughs> for the sin that you that you you've done here, and Abimelech says like, "What are you talking about? <laughs> I I'm innocent. He told me that it was his sister, and God says, "Yeah, I know, <laughs> and I kept you from from sleeping with her for to keep to keep you from sinning." So I think that's kind of cool, kind of neat. <laughs> and then so God tells him like, "Now you know," so. You return his wife to him, and if you don't, if you keep her as your wife, uh, it's going to suck for you. <laughs> Just youth pastored that story. <laughs> now, for Abimelech, I love saying that name. <laughs> I should name my son Abimelech. I don't have a son, but when I do... <laughs> what is a nickname for that? Bim or Lek? <laughs> hey, A-Bim. That's kind of cool. I uh, probably shouldn't. I should tell you I'm, I'm most likely joking, unless you like it. <laughs> now, how could you yell at a Bimelek? Baby, a Bimelek? Come on, you can't yell at that boy. <laughs> anyway. For Abimelech, if he if he still kept Sarah as his wife, he would be willfully disobeying the Lord. Before that, he was he was still he was still in sin, as God said. Like you still did something that is unacceptable, but he did it out of ignorance. He didn't know, but now he knows. And for him to continue to do that, to continue if to continue to keep Sarah as his wife. That would be straight up sin. <laughs> it would be willful sin, willful disobedience to the Lord. But Abimelech um, chose to give Sarah back to Abraham and said, Yo, you lied to me. <laughs> and so in that in that sense, he I, I would say, I think it can be reasoned that he did what was right. He did he did something that was good. And um, I don't know if I'll go as far as to say, but it may have pleased the Lord. <laughs> Everyone's getting angry at me now. <laughs> Everyone's getting mad. TipsyTheologyPodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> if you're mad at anything I said, you can, um, you can direct your comments to Sean, wherever he is. <laughs> that dude, I think he's sleeping. He's not back in here. <laughs> I don't think he'll be here for the next episode unless he turns his act around. Because this is subpar. Let me say, subpar. <laughs> well, I drank his, I drank his drink, so uh, he can't be mad. I think we're even. I think that evens us up. I'm all about second chances. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see how I feel. I think this is making me emotional already. Well, I do feel it. It's pretty nice. It's it really is. Um, 
Yeah, it says 92 proof, so please drink with extreme caution. They're not joking. <laughs> like I said, I'm a professional. Don't try this at home. <laughs> so on that note, um, I think it's an important lesson. I think the important lesson in this is that God does not reveal everything to us at once. I think that's something that we can extract somehow. <laughs> I was, um, this morning I was reading Acts. I'm in chapter 15. And so actually I do want to read this. It's a, again, it's a little longer of a passage. It's um, Acts 15, 22 through 31. But I think there's a lot for us to glean inside of this. So <clears throat> I'm about to read, so be careful. <laughs> Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers. And they, they uh, with the following letter, they gave him a letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles. I can't read. Let me start that over. <laughs> With the following letter, the brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles, same spot, in Antioch and Syria, in Cilicia, greetings. <laughs> greetings. <laughs> Since we, I'm going to open the episodes with that now. Greetings. <laughs> it's good. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. It has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Beloved. I like that. Men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord, for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden, no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what, you, what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled, oof, from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. That's cool. So, when they, when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Now, their burden was limited. Some, some people went out and said, um, well-intentioned, I'm sure. I'm sure, that, like, I, I'm giving them some grace in here. <laughs> it's like, I'm sure these people were well-intentioned in what they wanted to do. And they went out and they gave, they troubled the people here, that these new believers, with all this stuff. Some of it applied, I'm sure. Some of it didn't. And so it was, it was, it was bad enough for them to say, hey, let's send you a letter and let's give you some parameters. Focus on these things. Focus on, on these few things, and you will do well. Farewell. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so their burden was limited, so they could focus on overcoming just a, a few things. They could focus themselves on the things. And I'm sure later, I'm sure later down the road, these things were increased as they continued down the path of sanctification 
and they were growing and becoming more victorious over these sins and becoming stronger in their faith. So what this shows us, what it shows me, I think what it shows all of us, hopefully, <laughs> if not, there might be a green fairy around here. <laughs> Um, what it shows us is that the Holy Spirit does not reveal every area that we are lacking in at once. Thank the Lord for that. <laughs> Sanctification, as I mentioned, um, is a process. We would probably explode if it wasn't. <laughs> Praise God for that. <laughs> um, and I think that's, that, that's a sign of grace that the Lord extends to us. Um, that correction is only in part. He doesn't convict us of everything at once, but he he reveals those over time. says, hey, this is a big area. Focus on this. And then when we are victorious in that, when we're faithful to him, he says, okay, cool. Now here's another one. <laughs> because the the goal in that is for us to be more like Christ. We've been, we've been called, when we become Christians, we're, we're called to a higher standard. And it's important for us to, when we're going through our lives, to, to look at those things and to strive to be more faithful and to um, yeah, to become more like Christ on that journey. Um, yeah. Getting emotional now. <laughs> yeah, we need to work on ourselves, and he, the Lord, will reveal more to us the more we are faithful. Goodness, I don't know why I'm crying right now. <laughs> while we were still sinners, while we were still missing the mark, kata, <laughs> I really hope that's how you say it. My pronunciations are not the best. <laughs> while we were still missing the mark, Christ died for us. He didn't wait. <laughs> he didn't wait until we cleaned up our act, you know, until we we're like, okay, they're they're good. They're better now. <laughs> you know, he didn't wait for this. He died while we were still failing, while we were still missing the mark. That's when he came. So if we do fall short, if we do sin, that doesn't mean that God all of a sudden doesn't love us. <laughs> you know, John 3.16, he loved the world. That's why he sent his son. He loved people. He loved us then, and he still loves us now. And if he did that before we were, we were good, <laughs> before we cleaned up, which we're, we're still not there, <laughs> then if we do mess up, and we will, why would he all of a sudden not love us? So I know I'm making some people probably shift to the edge of their seat right now. Um... Because we're, we're a little close. We're teetering on an edge here. We're very close to that edge of talking about you know, the free will conversation and you know, the, the once saved, always saved, the eternal salvation kind of thing. And I, I think what's important here is that to say no one comes to the Father. Because I'm not, uh, let me say this. I'm not going to talk about those things, partly because I haven't made up my mind, mostly. I, I'm not convinced of, of any, any side yet or anything. Um, I'm more concerned with just let's approach what we can read and reason out of what we're, what we're seeing and where truth is leading us. Now, truth 
corrects. Truth is unaffected, as we've said, by our own thoughts. Um, It's always going to be true, and so there's no harm in us testing it (laughs) to see if what we think is truth is actually truth. It's it's important. Um, And I think it's important for us also to not get caught up in church tradition. Now, I think tradition is beautiful. I'm one of those people that I, I, I love it. I think a fault of a lot of Christians is rejecting what we would call religion, the tradition things. I think that's a really beautiful part of of faith and Christianity because it's intentional about reminding us, intentional about those things. But we need to be intentional about remembering what they're we're being intentional about. <laughs> that's where we can get caught up. So with that, we 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 don't want to ignore those traditions and those things that have been discovered, reasoned throughout through time from really smart people. Now, you know, we're not throwing it out. I'm not saying that. But let's make sure that we're holding on to the right bags here. Let's make sure that what we think is first what they said <laughs> and does it follow with what Scripture teaches with what it shows us, what what it what it is showing us. Um, and so, let me say this before I hop into this next <laughs> big one here. Um, John fourteen six, no one comes to the Father except through me, who is Jesus. It is faith alone that we're saved. Just like we can't do anything, we can't do enough good to gain salvation. We can't do enough bad to lose salvation. It is faith alone. And, and that's really important. I also, so with that, I want to say that I, I can say this emphatically, <laughs> and I will say it emphatically, is that I don't, I don't believe in cheap grace. Um, now, if you don't know that term or what that is, the term cheap grace Ugh, it disgusts me to hear that. <laughs> Makes me cringe. It's cringy. Um, it can be traced back to a book written by the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, called the book was called "The Cost of Discipleship" um, from 1937. He's an old fella. <laughs> he probably didn't even get to drink absinthe. So sad. I don't know too much about him. He might not have been into it. Um, so in that book, Bonhoeffer defined cheap grace as the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ. That's heavy. That's a lot of things. That's a lot. (laughs) The way, the way I see it, is in my in my um, my simple brain, <laughs> cheap grace is saying, I can basically kind of just do what I want. It you know God will forgive me every single time, regardless of how I live. It doesn't matter how I live. But I say to that, it's like we can't just go. I'll say it again. Oops, <laughs> I did it again. <laughs> Oopsie, I made a little sin. You know, it's you did wrong against God. That's that's what it was. 
it's not cute. It's wrong. I think particularly if you're a Christian, you know better, or at least you should know better. Willful disobedience is so much worse than ignorant disobedience if you don't like if if you don't know it's it's not as bad as being like oh i know the right thing to do and i'm not going to do it works matter but like i said they're not necessary for salvation but how we live our lives and let me say and not but <laughs> and how we live our lives matter Faith without works is dead. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. You know, it's about giving our lives. There's the confession. Let's confess with our mouths. Mouths. Yes, Jesus is Lord. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to express that when I can. But it's also about a heart posture. It's about giving our lives to the lordship of God. <laughs> God's godness. <laughs> it's, it's, it's making him our boss. So it's important that we recognize this and that we don't fall into legalism. Because I think when we focus too much on works, we get scared and we're like, oh, that's legalism. But if we don't, then it's like, oh, okay, so we can live however we want. You know, there's like this weird line that I feel like we, we, we can tend, people I've talked to can tend to shift on either end of that. Where it's like, oh, over here, you're, you're, you know, you don't care about works at all, so it doesn't matter. Over here, it's like, you care too much. <laughs> and your heart's not in the right place. So I'll, I'll say this, um, I think that legalism, legalistic Christianity, something that says you must do this, you must do this, you must do this, and not to say that it's completely wrong, but it's, it's ignoring, when you go to that extreme of, of legalism, um, it's a works-based faith. I, I, I believe that. And it's, you know, it's trying to remedy I think in a lot of ways it's it's well-intentioned. At least originally it was well-intentioned. I hope so to today. Um, I think it's trying to remedy a symptom and not treat the problem. And the problem is, it's it's your heart. That's that's the issue. You know, as Christians, we're required we're required to live a certain way. We see the Ten Commandments. God gave us that. He said, "Hey, this is how you love me and how you love people." That's important. <laughs> It's important that we look at that. Um, but if we see Christians that aren't living the right way, the right the way that God outlined, it shouldn't be, hey, you need to do this. It's like, no, no, no. You should want to serve the Lord. You should want to please God. You know, Jesus changes our hearts. That's what that's what he does. The Lord changes our hearts. The Holy Spirit works on us. <laughs> and boy, we need work. At least I do. I need a lot of work. <laughs> when we believe in 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 the Lord, we put our trust in him. We're putting we're putting our entire our entire life in his hands. We're saying I trust you with my life. That's big. 
That's really big. In Romans 3, I've got a lot of Bible verses today, a lot of Paul, a lot of Paul. <laughs> the man wrote. <laughs> Uh, In Romans 3, Paul's teaching on faith alone and how it was taken out of context. (laughs) A lot of people like to take a lot of things out of context, and it was no different in their day. (laughs) Of course, um, let us do evil that good may come was not Paul's teaching. If you're unfamiliar with that verse, he has this really big, interesting argument. Um, And that's one he's talking about. So some people took him saying, uh, asking the question, basically rhetorically, <laughs> shall we continue sinning so that may God, so God's glory may abound, or so greatness may abound? He says, by no means, by the by. <laughs> and uh, he was slander- slanderously reported to teach this, that let us do evil so that good may come. He didn't say that. <laughs> So still, it is possible to see how this accusation came as Paul freely preached forgiveness and salvation by grace through faith in Jesus, not works. But we cannot continue in our sin. The Lord loves us in spite of our sin, not because of it. Let me say that again. We cannot continue in sin. The Lord loves us in spite of our sin, not because of it. I feel like a pastor now. <laughs> Let me say that again. Whoa! <laughs> I wish Sean was here to see this. <laughs> I don't know where that guy is. <laughs> ah, anyway. <laughs> you know, as his, as his imagers, as his representatives, his ambassadors, some people may say, a lot of Christianese terms being thrown around here, but we've defined a few of them. <laughs> We are called to something greater. If we love God, why, why would we want to continue to do wrong against him? When we fail to obey his commands, when we fail to love others, we do wrong against him. I think of um, Joseph with, is it Potiphar or Potiphar? I've heard people say it different ways and I don't know. I've always said Potiphar (laughs) with his wife. You know, when um, what Joseph says is, you know, I how could I sin against God? When he says, why have you done this with my wife? And he's like, I didn't. How could I sin against the Lord? And essentially, he brought it to that extreme, to that point where it's like, he's not sinning against just Potiphar or his wife, but he's also sinning against God. It goes that high. The sins that we commit against each other reflect how we view the Lord. When we fail to obey his commands, when we fail to love others, we do wrong. We do wrong against him. If we say we love the Lord, then let's let's love him. <laughs> let's do it let's do it well, let's do it right. And so maybe maybe I'm leaving this whole thing with more questions for everybody and myself than answers. So I guess to summarize. Sin bad, God good. Do good, love God. (laughs) Don't do bad. (laughs) In all seriousness, in all seriousness, um, we need to look at and differentiate for ourselves and recognize that when, when how we interact with other people, what are 
those commands, those universal commands, sins that God gave. I think the Ten Commandments is a great place to look. <laughs> of course, Jesus expanded on those in the New Testament, made it a little bit more difficult. Um, but we look at those sins against others and how we love other people, how we love God. That that I think that's one major differentiator, if I haven't said it earlier, major differentiator that we can look at. The Ten Commandments, those universal sins. How do you love other people? How do you love God? And then when we look at personal convictions, I think it's fair to say that it's how do we love ourselves to, to love God well? How do we take care of ourselves? Where's our faith in that? For me, this is not a, it's not, at least not to a point of being a personal conviction. I don't, I don't stumble because of this. Now, it could, it could create a stumbling block for myself, for other people, but that's not where my convictions are right now. That's not where, where my, my journey is right now with my faith, with my process, with the process that I'm on in my own journey. And so it's for all of us to look at that individually to see that. And I'll say this for those that... We keep coming back to alcohol. Let's do it. <laughs> Smoking's another one. We'll talk about that. Um, those things are not a Ten Commandment universal sin. <laughs> they aren't. They're a personal conviction, a personal sin. Now, like we saw earlier, they can become a, a bigger issue if, it, if we're doing it in a way that affects other people. That's not loving other people well. See where that happens? <laughs> so let's pay attention to that. That's the, that's the charge for myself with this, is that we need to look at those things. Because my desire, our desire should be, mine, <laughs> it should always be to, to think, how can we love the Lord well? How can, we, how can we, knowing through the strength of our salvation, how can we live in a way that pleases and honors the Lord? And the great thing about it is it, it goes well for us, too. <laughs> that shouldn't be the, the sole reason we do that. I think it's a nice byproduct. But why do I want to do right? Why do I want to do what is good? Because I love God. That's why. And that should be the same for all of us. Whether through my personal convictions or through those universal ones, we need to look at how, how can I please... How can I please the Lord through loving people and loving God? How can I love myself well to honor God? We're going to mess up. We're going we're gonna to screw it up like we do. <laughs> and that's where it's important for us to say, I'm sorry, you know, to, to go to that person that we have wronged and say, I screwed up. I'm going to do better. And then go to God, go to God first and say, yo, I screwed up, <laughs> but I'm going to do better. I'll say it again. I love it. You're an imager of God, so start acting like it. I'm an imager of God. I need to act like it. I swear, this stuff makes me emotional. <laughs>
<laughs> I couldn't even finish it. And this is... <laughs> Thank you guys so much for tuning in, for watching, for listening, however you're doing it. I truly do appreciate that we are all able to do this together. Um, it's something that I just love to, I love to do. I love looking through the Bible and seeing what it has for us. I think that's a beautiful thing. And I'm happy that you also enjoy this. <laughs> and I hope that it encourages you. I hope that it challenges you. It does that for me every single time. <laughs> every single, single time. <laughs> it's great. Um, but yeah, we're all, we're all here together. Um, and so I'd love to hear from you. You can uh, send me your comments, your questions, your hate mail. <laughs> send me your thoughts. Send me your send me your 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 rebuttals to anything that I have said. Um, you can send those over to Tipsy Theology Podcast at gmail dot com. Uh, and I'm also I, I've just uh, relogged back into Instagram. Woo woo! <laughs> so if that's if that's better for you, I'm there. Uh, it is at tipsy underscore theology. And those links for both those things will be in the description, so you can check those out there. Um, yeah, I just, I, I want us to do to do this together. I don't, I don't want us to, to do this alone in, uh, in our journey that we're here. Um, I think it's a, it's a beautiful thing for us to, to come together and explore these things in that way. I think it's something very biblical about that. <laughs> so yeah, well, I'm looking forward to hearing from you. And uh, I'll talk to you, hopefully sooner rather than later.